and welcome back to the Curiosity Chamber. This is Season 3, Episode 4, and with me today from the creators of Searching for Home, Coming Back from War, and Homecoming, A Vietnam Vet's Journey, Unmasking Hope is a new feature documentary from filmmaker Eric Christensen that explores the elusive face of trauma through the stories of a disparate group of survivors who have experienced unthinkable crisis and don masks to hide their pain. Using in-depth personal interviews, soulful animation, scientific support, and expert commentary, the film goes beyond their masks to uncover their deepest wounds. The years of abuse, social stigma, and moral injury that have scarred their souls. This is Mr. Eric Christensen. Hey, Eric. Thanks for doing this. Hey, Jay. That quite an open. It actually <laughs> does describe the film. I, I'm <laughs> no, that, that's great. That was actually written before I had the film cut. Yeah. So, and now I'm thinking we did it. <laughs> you did it. It read good when I was reading it on the website. I read real good. So the documentary is strictly in relation to the nine eleven attack. Oh no! One of the one of the things about unmasking hope is that it shows a, a very a very diverse field mm-hmm. of trauma survivors. So nine okay. eleven is just one of the many traumas. It's nine eleven. It's mass shootings. Yeah. It's sexual trauma. Okay. We have a veteran. We have a first responder. It, it's about it's about a lot of different traumas. Yeah, yeah. Mainly, and... the focus is on how we all heal, you know, after the traumas, and and shedding that mask that we have to put on, just to kind of operate after we go through our trauma, to shedding that mask to finding the hope after after the trauma. So uh, the focus is really on the hope and not the incident. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, these events have such such magnitude, right? And a lot of times we only see the physical side, meaning for example, when 9/11 happens, we strictly saw, you know, just like the physical action, like the airplane crashing into it, and then, you know, we didn't we didn't get to ground zero if you will and see the individuals behind that, like how it was affecting them. You know, there's more that what meets the eye than what you just see on TV. It's actually going through and and speaking to these individuals who were impacted by this. I mean, every family that was involved in that, I mean, words can't even express, I'd imagine. I've only seen it on TV, so I don't know. But I'm glad you're exploring this side of the the tragic events because there's a lot to be said. That's exactly right, Jay. I mean, we just see like a fraction. We see the incident. Right. You know, with the 9-11 survivors, you know, we're taking a look at them, uh, gosh, you know, um, you know, 20 years later, you know, the impact on their life. And and it's a strong impact. But a lot of these people, the, the, the amazing part is a lot of these people, you know, they're in recovery. They've they've made it part of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, they're moving on and uh, but it still affects their lives 20, 20 years later. I mean, it's a significant effect, event, you know, and we just the film doesn't focus on the event itself. That's just a minor part. Right. Right. And I, the thing that I'm worried about is that there's there's got to be a, like a, a residual effect. So if one person is affected by catastrophe that's going to continue on the bloodline. So for example, if someone grows up in, in an abusive family, right? Chances are more than likely the person that was getting abused, that child will grow up to be abusive. Oh, exactly. And there, there's such thing as secondary PTSD. Mm-hmm. And um, these are <clears throat> these events and these, these, you know, uh, incidents of severe trauma. It, it's like a, a pebble in a pond, you know, the waves go out all the way through the whole pond. And it's not only in their immediate family it affects, you know, everybody that they come in contact to with. And, uh, you know, it's also the, the, uh, you know, the use, we, we call it unmasking hope because after, after the trauma, a lot of times the individuals and, and we as humans put on a, 
a mask, a, a persona uh, that we need to, so we can just move day to day and kind of hide that hurt, hide that all that other stuff underneath that. And um, you know, where it affects so many people. And uh, after a while, unfortunately, sometimes that mask doesn't come off. And that's what we're talking about with unmasking hope is, you know, actually getting to a point in your life after these traumas where you can take that mask off and, and start to start to deal with life on a day to day basis and, and integrate the trauma as part of part of your life. If you're wearing a mask for so long, is it almost that you have to put on like that's your permanent face? Is it almost like you have to put a mask on to be happy? Like like the mask becomes your face because you've been doing it for so long. If I'm is, no that that's that a great sense? question because yeah. I see that in in the work I do that you know it becomes the event and that incident and that mm-hmm. trauma becomes the individual, right? You know, yeah. and it kind of overtakes them and. It's a long road to healing to get out from underneath that and to shed, again, shed that mask, to use that analogy, mm-hmm. and become the person that you were before the trauma. And a lot of times, even a better person because you went through kind of that yeah. crucible and that test. That's a great and point. Now, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest things I see in these individuals is when they, when they start to heal, um, they want to go back and help the other guys that have been through it, you know, and then that's a sure way for healing. More empathetic for Mm -hmm, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you what, what drives you to make documentaries and films on such sensitive topics? That again, that's a great question. This is my fourth film like this Mm -hmm. and over about 32 years ago, I think it's coming up on the 32nd anniversary um, I lost my home in the Painted Cave fire disaster in Santa Barbara 32 oh, years ago. Wow. And uh, I, I've been working in film literally since I was 13 years old. And and uh, I was an editor at the time. And I was, you know, my work was very different, but I was working still in the industry. And I, I lost my home in the Painted Cave fire and uh, disaster. And it, it just took away all my kind of my worldly goods, you know, all that stuff that was connecting me. I was just, it was just me then. And, uh, you know, and I had to look at, look at myself closely. And, uh, that's when I decided, you know, this is actually an opportunity to kind of rewrite my life. This is a clean slate. And from there I went on out, I got clean and sober and I made my first film called, uh, faces in the fire about that you know, disaster and a group of survivors. Uh, we interviewed about a half a dozen or more other survivors. And I made my first film of this kind over 32 years ago. And, uh, and it won my first Emmy award, but more importantly, it went on to be, uh, part of the national, uh, the, the, uh, NIM national, um, let's see, mental health, uh, Institute of mental health. Um, it went into their catalog and wow. it would help other survivors. And it also uh, assisted uh, people that were going into disaster situations in debriefing the disaster survivors and things. So that got my start. And that was, you know, the, the premiere that was almost 31 years ago. So this is my fourth film. So that's what incredible. I've been doing. It's my calling. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's actually really incredible because... Each individual is going to handle that situation completely different. And I like to use this example, this scenario. So if you're driving on the highway and you come across a a, a terrible car accident, you're not involved in it, but you see it. And we have two different people that see this accident. The one person looks and is like, wow, life's not promised to me tomorrow. I better live the fullest you know, I gotta, I better be the best I can go love my kids if I have them or my partner or whatnot and just live to the extreme fullest because it's not promised tomorrow. And then person B, you can, you can, they see the accident and they're like, just devastated. Oh my God, this could happen to me. Oh, why, why did that happen? How come, how come this could happen? How, 
how do these things happen and then like go down this dark dark hole and you know look to drugs and alcohol or whatnot and just become in a depression because of what they saw so there can be there can be two ways that you look at it and it seems like that you you came out on the right side you actually looked at yourself and you're like all right i can rewrite my story let's do it and that's actually you know the basis of all my films you know, is, is we, we come to a fork in the road where we have to make a decision. Is this going to bring us down and send us into a spiral of entropy? Or yeah. is this, are we going to build from this? And I was fortunate enough to build from it. And I try to make films now that portray in, in a sober way. I say a sober way as in, you know, it's not perfect. Recovery is not perfect. You're always working at it. You're going to have your bad days. Yeah. yeah. But we try to portray that recovery and that hope, you know, of, of, uh, surviving a trauma, surviving grief, because that's a big component of the trauma. Yeah. And, And then coming back out the other side and, and, you know, and hopefully actually being a little bit better of a soul than you were when, when you actually went through it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why I try to portray in the film so people can connect with that and, and get aspired and inspired mm-hmm. to to uh, perhaps follow their own healing path. Yeah. Kind of channel your energy into a, a beneficial way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are there any tools or does it help to, to talk about this? Like what kind of things can people that if they're survivors of trauma what sort of things have you seen on the ground that that is a common theme maybe for for the healing for helping people heal yeah you know mm-hmm. i i think inequivocally uh I, I think we could say um that finding finding others like you finding your tribe and identifying yeah. that's one mm-hmm. of the biggest things time and time again it's like You're for right. the veterans finding a bunch of other veterans that have been through that thing you know, and being able to talk vet, vet to bet, vet about, you know, the, about their experiences, you know, yeah. for the mass shooting survivors, it's talking to other mass shooting survivors, you know, it's like, then you, then you find out you have this, uh, you start to begin to identify and you find out that you're not the only one that there's other people on this path. And often, you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, this, uh, having went through trauma and not having these things it kind of drives us into a, a life of isolation, you know? And so being able to realize that you're not crazy, that you're not alone and there's other people out there, that's one of the biggest things, but it's hard. It's hard to come out of your shell and mm-hmm. say, you know, you need help or even start to look for other people like you. And I think that works, you know, for me personally, it works for me and my, um, you know, uh, alcohol addiction and, yeah. uh, I got to talk to other, other, uh, alcoholics for sure, you know, to, for them to understand. And, and, uh, then, then for me to, uh, follow their path and, and, and walk in recovery. And, uh, that's the biggest thing is finding your tribe, finding other people like you and identifying and not, and, and knowing you're not alone. Is that the hardest thing from starting at ground zero to come out of your shell? And I, I hate to kind of match it up like this, but like if you're on drugs or alcohol, like you, you can, you can only help them so much. They have to want to change themselves. Oh, that's, it's a huge component that, that they have to be willing right. to, to accept the help. And, but you know, it, it's a, it's a cliche, but it's the truth. Asking for help yeah. is one of the toughest things, but it's also the key to recovery. It's yeah. a whole recognition that, you know, it, it's, it's telling the truth on yourself is there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go, Hey, I really need some help. This is really bringing me down. You, you've just admitted there's something going on. And then that's the first step of willingness that brings you into a whole world of recovery. And hopefully yeah. that willingness and that desperation stays with you for some time. I can only imagine how hard it is though, because you get caught up in these these ways and you get comfortable right you don't want to expose yourself you don't know what's on the other side so you just you know stay in a a comfort zone and i understand it i'm I'm completely empathetic toward that i mean 
I've never been through such a trauma like that, that it's hard for me to understand mentally what they're going through, which is goes back to your point. You have to find someone that has been through it and is making changes for the better. Like it's possible. I can do it. You know, it, it, that's exactly true. And it's, you have to find those people that have been over the hill and have seen the other side of the hill Yeah, and come back to you and say, you know, and gently take you there because the, the person that's stuck, you can't explain to them what recovery is like. You can't explain what the other side of that hill looks like. It's like trying to explain like on a hot summer day, what it's like to jump into a lake. You can't explain that feeling. <laughs> right. You have to yeah. actually do it. Yeah. So the guys that's done it can gently coerce the guys that are, you know, reluctant or kind of stuck and yeah. gently walk them along until they see the other side of the hill. And then hopefully that guy will go back and reach his hand out for another right, guy right. and say, this yes. is the way it works. Chain reaction. Yeah, that's good. So is there a stigma? There is a stigma for men about like uh, being open with their feelings, but I, I want to know. Do you see a a difference in the men or women? Is it easier for the women to open up because you know being a man and I don't know maybe it doesn't discriminate, but being a man, you you're taught from such a young age that showing emotion is a weakness. So my thought initially is that it it might be harder for boys or men to to come out and deal with this and you know say something's very emotional. It's, it's hard for me and I have a problem. You know, I, I think overall, generally that's, that is true. I, I think, you know, men have been taught to be fairly stoic about their feelings. Right. And to actually say you need help and stuff, it shows, uh, you know, considerable weakness in some people's eyes, but in other people's eyes, that's the strongest thing you can do is actually say that. Right. You know, I need help. But it's interesting in my film, in Unmasking Hope, we have a gentleman, Lyman Montgomery, and he was sexually molested by uh, an adult when he was eight years old. And he held that inside for, I don't know, over 30 years. Oh, God. Because it was very, very difficult for him to admit that to anybody. Yeah. And, and so... Man, that that's that's <laughs> that's a big cross to bear. But then on the other side of things, you know, we have Sandra Lee who suffered military sexual trauma. She was raped in the army by by one of one of the people she was serving under, and uh, that's got to be tough. That has to be really tough for the women when you come out of of a, and say somebody sexually assaulted me is. In our society, a lot of times it's like, well, what did you do to ask for that? You're right. You know, so that mm -hmm. that's a whole nother kind of pressure on the women. So it's a very delicate uh, situation on both sides. But I go back to what you said. In, in general, overall, you know, it's very difficult for the men to come out and say they need help, especially uh, Jack yeah. Delaney. He was, he was in charge of... Uh, Gosh, I can't remember how many paramedics during 9-11. He worked at the, he was in charge of emergency services at the um, New York Presbyterian Hospital. And uh, he had so many men underneath him and he lost quite a few men. And he had to take care of those families and things. And he had no time because he was their leader. He had no time really for himself to say, I need help also. This is like really, really draining me. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a it's a difficult dynamic. Some some is social, some is social stigma, and some is you know you got to do your job sometimes, right? You know, and that's yeah. just a fact. And so we put that mask on and tough it out, um, and and sometimes it doesn't benefit us, but it when, benefits everybody else. When speaking of nine eleven, like something that goes hand in hand with that is conspiracies, and I'm just wondering if. Is that a mask, like uh, being caught up in a conspiracy because it's too hard to accept truth of some sort? Oh, my gosh, that's that's a good question. And, you know, I generally stay out of that pool. Yeah, you know, because I, even with right. the Route 91, you know, um, mm -hmm. shooting that we have in the film, there's also conspiracies. 
<laughs> and, um, you know, I think oftentimes, and I'm not going to use 9-11 or the Route 91 as a specific example. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I just think a lot of times that things are so kind of out of control. Those situations are so out of control. And this is just my personal belief. Right. That yeah. things and, and life gets so out of control that conspiracies are kind of invented in a way so we can control things in our mind. This I is actually right. what happened. Yeah. I know what happened. To, yeah. un, to actually say, wow, you know, <laughs> this life is kind of under out of control. And to admit that we don't have that control is very scary. So my personal take on that is that quite often, um, possibly conspiracies will fill that void where we can feel that we have some sort of control. We kind of, we know what actually happened behind that. Yeah. But, but in fact it happened and it's kind of out of control. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. No, I'm on, the, <laughs> I'm on the same page. I subscribe with that for sure. I think sometimes, sometimes we live in a crazy world, but some people are crazy for sure. But I mean, we do, we live in a crazy world and sometimes it's, it's, I, I, I like the term mask. It's almost like putting a mask, like a blindfold over your eyes. So, you know, you, you can you think you understand what happens because it makes sense. It makes more sense in your mind and you can justify it. You know, it, it's interesting that we're talking about this is Dr. Amit Ekin. He's one of my experts. He's a professor out of Stanford University and one of the top mm -hmm. researchers in PTSD, anxiety and depression. And uh, he says in the film, a lot of PTSD survivors or, you know, individuals, try to figure out why the trauma happened. How did it happen? Why it happened? And he yeah. goes, the simple fact is it just happened. And right. you have to understand that then move on because you can get stuck in that quagmire of why did I survive? Why did this happen? Why was I in that place? And, and then you, you have, it's a tough thing for the survivors just to let that go. Yeah. I move ahead into recovery for me. It's like, I, I work with other alcoholics a lot in my personal life, and in uh, and uh, and for me, I had to let go. Why am I an alcoholic? What happened to me? What what in my life got twisted? Why did this happen? You know, mm -hmm. and in order to recover, I had to let that go and just move forward. The why doesn't matter as much as like what are you going to do now? Yeah, that's uh, that's tough to hold on to the the why question is such a big one um have you ever heard of maps it's a multidisciplinary association for psychedelics oh you know actually yes i have yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um what not they do that not that particular organization but uh, psychedelics being used in yeah. trauma recovery and ptsd and stuff like that exactly yeah oh, yeah they, I've, they, yeah uh -huh. yeah they, they use stuff like mdma and psilocybin lsd ketamine mm -hmm. yeah uh, i'm i'm super interested in stuff like that and um an expert was telling me what it was like and he, he kind of broke it down into layman's terms and it's it's pretty much like think of a a ski slope that's been open for like 20 years and it's never gotten fresh snow on it and the trails mm -hmm. are just deeply ingrained and deep right but then psychedelics, what they can act is, is like fresh snow and put powder over, over those trails. And of course, we're talking about the brain, right? So you can almost start fresh and make new connections. Oh, right? exactly. And that's, that's one thing that Dr. Ekin in a different way is working on is using a magne magnetic re resonance and all sorts of other like tools to actually kind of retrain your neural highways. Yeah. And that's a very yeah. similar thought. And, you know, um, I, I don't have it and I don't have any like uh, real statistics or anything on the, on the psychedelics and stuff, but man, that makes, makes sense to me. It, it seems promising. We're still, still probably a couple of years out, maybe like a decade or so, but I mean, it's moving in, in the right path. I'm, I'm excited for it. Cause there are so many people with, with trauma and they can't live their life. You know, it's just, it just, it got snatched away from them. It's so unfair. It just got taken away from them. Even, especially if it happens to children, I'm really sensitive. I have a, 
I have a five-year-old, so I want him to have the best possible life. And, you know, I was just listening to a story today um, from a, a Marine that was uh, over in Afghanistan when we just recently when we pulled out of there and there was a bunch of people trying to get on our ships and be evacuated in our airplanes. And the stories that he was sharing were just so devastating. Just, just hearing his words, like gave me chills. He, he was right there on, on, there was a fence and they were about to take off on this huge cargo plane and, you know, it, it wasn't looking good. If you were going to stay in Afghanistan, you're probably going to get killed just at yeah. the state of it right there. And this is, this is tough to talk about. So the mothers would try and throw their babies over the fence, but on the fence, there's barbed wire. So they were just getting stuck on the barbed wire and coming down. And oh my gosh. Wow. Being yeah. lit on fire. Like the, the things he was describing. So all of those people involved, they have trauma. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's going to be passed on. It's just horrible. I feel so bad. And it's exactly what we were talking about, how we see things from such a bird, not most people see things from a bird eyes point of view. So far away, when you get down to it, like you don't, you don't hear those stories. You don't see those stories on the news yeah. at all. You just say, you just see that we're being evacuated. Right. That's all you see. You don't actually go down to ground level and have a, a relationship with these people and what they're actually going through. There's a lot of trauma in the world. So I'm I'm glad that you're exploring this. I'm glad that that you're giving information. You've, you've been doing this. It's your calling. Um, it's such you're going to bring a lot of help to people. And hopefully my listeners, if they're going through some trauma, can, you know, know that it's okay to take that first step and admit that something's wrong. And there's, there's people out there that are just like you and you're not alone. There's always somebody else going through it with you. And I think the, the worst thing is being in isolation for sure. And I'd imagine there's been a lot of trauma with COVID. We had to be locked in and you weren't getting that face-to-face -face time. People are social. We need to be social. And when you take away that ability, a lot of things go wrong mentally. And, you know, I just hope people can can shed that skin and, and move on. But I know it's very, very hard for a lot of people. You know, there's two things that you really brought up is, you know, with, with trauma, we, we, we have to remember that trauma is it's relative to the individual. And, uh, you know, you, you bring up the example of, you know, in Afghanistan and all these you know, those terrible things. And, and we talk about 9-11, but we also have to remember that grief and trauma happen every day on, on like just a, a real home front kind of atmosphere, car accidents, your, your, your spouse getting cancer. I mean, it, it's all, it, it's interesting because the one thing I've learned is that it, it's all relative to the individual trauma is, and grief, I, they go hand in hand That's for a wonderful me. Point. You know, and uh, it, it just, it's its really, you know, it's hard to quantify that, you know, yeah. and, and say that one is one is more intense than others, you know, and uh, that, that's a really important thing to remember. And, uh, you know, the other the other point with trauma is that, you know, no matter where and what it happens what has happened that, you know, there, there is, there is recovery and, and, and the recovery often comes in the, in the, you know, the way of being, you know, a hundred percent honest and really recognizing something happened. Mm -hmm. yeah. And once you can get to that point and accept it and like assimilate it into your life as part of your life and part of your life narrative, you know, then, then, then the healing can start to happen. And, and, you know, those, those two things are, you know, really important because all of us can connect with trauma on some level. I agree. Yeah. Do you come across a lot of uh, bullying? Like uh, the trauma survivors that have been bullied? You know, it's, it's not, 
here's a crazy thing. The bullying is not really bullying. It's accidental. Oh, whoa. It, it's 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 kind of ignorance. It's like, aren't you over that yet? That is like probably, that's like, like, uh, that's the upper right cut. You yeah. know? Yeah. It's, it's just like, well, you know, it's been 20 years after 9-11. Aren't you over that yet? You know, hold on. <laughs> right. And, and that's, I guess... I, I don't even call that bullying. It's just it's just ignorance of how to ignorance. speak with somebody. You know, it's like there's people, you know, their their spouse has passed away 20, 40, whatever years ago. Yeah. It's like, aren't you over that? No, you don't really get over it. Yeah. yeah. And that's the truth. You just don't really get over it. But But we find ways to like work it into our life and make it part of our life narrative. And and just and then honor it. That's why memorials and anniversaries are so crazy important to survivors. Right. That right. that we honor that memory and we go and we just don't forget it. You know, um, the nine eleven memorial. I've been able to go to some really awesome memorials. That's great. And and it's just a huge part of healing. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a very good point the uh the ignorance and unfortunately i think that social media since you don't have to look these people in the face or you know even see them or hear their voice it's like a free pass to be ignorant like i, I don't know these people but i'm gonna insult them anyways i mean it's no nothing off my sweat off my brow oh i mean yeah there's don't get don't me on the, the social media, <laughs> the social media train, because, you know, I, I, I quit Facebook and all that stuff. And it just, I get it. It's, it's changed. It's changed my life. And, uh, yes, yes. And it's yes. not a real healthy environment for any sort of recovery. It's not. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, when I, um, I take frequent breaks. So every three months I'll, I'll take a hiatus from social media and those months that I take off, I feel a lot better. I'm a lot more um, cognitive of, of reading comments and getting you know in these disputes because people will argue with you just to strictly argue. Like if you say the color purple is purple, someone will be like, no, it's probably blue. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't get it. I don't get what the, the rise is. But if you're if you've been through trauma and you're recovering, and you find yourself in one of those, you know, disputes and comments, people say some nasty stuff and I can see maybe them going down a, a deep, dark uh, path again. I, yeah, I, I agree. A lot of sensitivity and a lot of, a lot of patient sensitivity and empathy. I mean, I think we're in a, I think we're in an empathy crisis right now because i think that's idea, interesting i haven't heard uh, of that idea that, that empathy is like gone and uh because you know empathy empathy calls for you to take a risk and instead of just come up with two or three sentences about the homeless guy that's on the corner and he should get a job or something like that empathy requires you to take a look at him and go oh no he's he he was somebody's son you know yes, he, he yes. was he he right now probably doesn't want to be there. If I was in that situation and I had to go sleep outdoors tonight, what would it be like? You know, and then, then you open up to them, you know, you open up to that idea. Then you become a little bit compassionate, you know, uh, and caring and uh, that, that follows empathy. And um, my films, I try to produce empathy. You know, I try to create stories um, and tell these stories in a truthful soulful manner of these individuals that will connect the viewer so they can they can empathize they can understand what it's like to walk in the shoes of a shooting survivor yeah. or a military sexual trauma survivor that's giant to yeah to have that come out in your films i think a lot of people need to see that and be a part of that do, do you have any children um yeah i do i have uh, okay. three kids and just <laughs> That's my, that's my main thing. I love being a husband yeah. and a dad. And I yeah. got my, my oldest is 24. My middle boy is 22. He just graduated uh, from college, from college. All mm -hmm. of them are out of college now. He was the last one. And then my little girl who is uh, 
so brave and she's 20 and living in new york and following her dreams so oh, wow pretty, pretty good for pretty her good, awesome cool stuff yeah yeah the reason why i brought that up is because you had mentioned about the homeless guy and you you see him as you know like he, he was a baby right yeah i think a lot of people if not all who have children have that perspective that wow at one time you were you were a blank slate you were so joyful you were happy you were in most cases sometimes that i understand that babies were are brought up and raised in these terrible conditions but for the most part they're a blank slate and it's their environment that unfortunately changes them but at, at one point everyone was a baby and everyone was a blank slate and oh yeah right yeah. yeah, don't get me started on the parenting thing. That's another one of my soapboxes. <laughs> I, I love I love parenting, and uh, my my perfect parenting partner, my wife Kate, and I uh, we've been knock on wood so far fairly successful, and we're very proud of our kids. There, there's nothing more better than it. I mean, I'll tell you what, nothing makes me more happy than seeing my child. He's five years old. Every time I see him, it's I got to, he gives me this like second, third, fourth wind, you know, just like a boost of excitement and like, wow, this is, this is what, I, whatever I do, I'm doing it for you. I love you so much. That it doesn't even matter. I, like, I would sacrifice myself for you. That's how much I love you and wouldn't even think about it. Oh yeah. I, I understand that. And they, and they keep doing that. You know, my oldest boy is getting married. And we love his fiance. My middle boy just graduated from Harvard and my little girl is modeling in New York. And I'm, and I'm somehow crazy. my wife and I look at each other and I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> and it happened exactly by what you're saying. You're willing, your willingness to like just yeah. do anything for them. And, uh, but it, you know, it, gosh, parenting, uh, I can go off on this parenting thing. So <laughs> <laughs> for another time, right. For another yeah. time. <laughs> Back on the show for that. Yeah, <laughs> not a problem. So are there any stories that that stick out the most to you when it comes to these uh, individual? It can be like a, a success story or, or a horror story. It could be either or. But does anything stick out the most to you? You know, they're all so special and they're all so right. sacred. You know, yeah, these okay. people, yeah. so many times I hear, you know, I haven't really told anybody this. And, and that's, that's an honor. I've been doing this for 30 years and I have a, I have this empath gift where people really do open up and I'm able to connect with them. But I got to tell you, there is <laughs> one story that is just, I just think is beautiful. That's in Unmasking Hope. Uh, yeah. You know, Molly, uh, she, Molly is a woman. She went to uh, Route 91 and was, you know, she survived the Route 91 shooting came home and said, you know, okay, great. That's done. You know, the, I, the roulette wheel hit whatever. And, <laughs> and what are the chances of anything ever happening again? You know, I, right, I, right. I had my disaster. Well, she ended up in a place called borderline and she heard the pop, pop, pop again. And she immediately knew what was going on. And, uh, she was in another mass shooting. And, uh, but the amazing part about Molly is and and she she has a her little girl was with her at the Route 91, but she was pregnant, oh, didn't know it. Yeah. And uh, but the and the amazing thing about Molly is a, an amazing organization called Given Hour, and you can look them up, givenhour.org. They're our official outreach partner. They offer free counseling to veterans and uh, people that have went through various other traumatic events. Um, and Given Hour uh set up a uh counseling uh system for the people from borderline and she finally went to that and she was able to like what we talked about she was able to connect and identify and find other people like her and 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 get the help she needed and now <laughs> this is just so beautiful she's she's actually a peer counselor at given hour now and she's oh, helping no other people that have survived mass <laughs> shootings yeah, and, yeah, and she's to a, watch she's a good her one. grow and yeah. watch her healing, it's like nothing will so nothing will so meteor meteorically, <laughs> you know, increase your healing as helping another person 
that has went through a similar event. And so, you know, she's in the film and her story's in the film and I'm, I'm proud to call her a friend too. That's I mean, awesome. it's, it's just amazing. So yeah. that's quite a story. That's, I, that's wild. Not one, but two. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's a great person to have on the team. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that she's doing well and now she's helping others. Like that is, that is an all-star. That is definitely somebody that, that you want on that, that team. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, did you, was it you that came up with unmask? Was, is that something that you came up with or is that known? In oh the my industry? gosh. My, uh, one of my associate producers, Pam Pyre, she, she, uh, was the, um, line producer for our work in New York and everything. And she set us up with the nine 11 survivors and everything. And she, she was actually, um, involved in my last film searching for home coming back from war. She is a mother of a, of a, um, Iraqi war veteran. And that's how I met her. And she got involved, uh, as an associate producer with, uh, with unmasking hope. And, uh, we we're trying to figure out a name for this project, a yet unnamed project. And yeah, yeah. it just popped into her head. She goes, cause I, <laughs> I, we were talking about this concept of going day to day and being able to survive and the, and, and, you know, the persona that we put on and she goes, how yeah. about unmasking hope? It's and perfect. I'm like, I'm forever <laughs> it's perfect. You know, indebted to her because it For is sure. such, such a beautiful idea and name and it fits, it fits so well with the project. It does. It does. And you know, we've been talking and, and I was starting to think that not only trauma survivors wear masks, right? Like you can have people of all shapes, ages, what kind of jobs they have. A lot of people wear masks and they don't necessarily have to be trauma survivors, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, the, the thing I was thinking of is like some, like people's ego. Like, they they wear that ego on their sleeve, but that's really just a mask. Oh, it's yeah. Not, I, I, not I really just, who you are. Pe people hide behind so many. Yeah. You know, and, and it, and clinically it's called a persona, persona, you know, and that, and if you really right, look right. at that and look up the definition of persona, it's just so right on. It's this other invention of yourself, Oh man, you know? And, uh, and you know, I think honestly though, I think we're always projecting some sort of a mask or a persona, no matter what, it's really hard to get down to the core of who you are. You know, and that, I think that's everybody's journey. I know that's my journey right now. And it's just like, I'm like, okay, who, what is the core of me? What is that, you know, of this, this huge stew, like you said, you that's know, the from, question. Yep. from when you're a baby to now and all this input, that that's a question. And so what do we put out there in the world? We put the persona out there. It's, it's hard to be your true self. How do you know when you get to your core? I don't know. Right. That's a good question. <laughs> Is there questions that <laughs> maybe those mushrooms might help. <laughs> I, I remember over it. 30 years ago. <laughs> That's the express line. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's interesting because there's, there's, it's analogous to my, you know, my current film, Unmasking Hope, is, you know, as an artist, I feel that this is the closest thing to what I really wanted to do to me. And yeah. to me producing as an artist, you know, it's, and, and, and it's in the evolution of all my work, it's very close to me and, um, and who I am. And, and, uh, you know, we use animation. We have, we have a, an amazing classically trained dancer that portrays the ideas of healing and, and Ooh, the like mask that. and, uh, it's yeah. all integrated and it's, it's been such an amazing journey. That's great. Is this, um, I'd imagine all films have a special place in your heart, but is there one of your films you like the most? This one. There we go. <laughs> Seriously, I've never, I've, even my wife has commented. Yeah. You know, she's never seen me this calm after making a film. I'm always kind of like, oh my gosh, what's, there's still something. There's still, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, I finished a rough cut on this and I watched it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like this film I wanted to make. This is, you know, I went to California Institute of the Arts in, uh, in the 80s, and one of my teachers, you know, gave this example where, 
you know, the artist is way over here and then his idea is way over here. You know what he wants to do. And it, it's like, you know, say it, it's, it's a mile away, you know, when you're, you're a young artist and then halfway through, you know, your evolution and your progress and working on your art and your, you know, your work, you're, you're a half a mile away, you know, from the vision yeah, and, and what is actually, what it actually is. And I feel this is so close to what my vision was. Um, as compared to my other work, it's, but the the other thing is I let go of like what other people, what I thought other people wanted with this. Yes. I, made my own, I made my own movie. Beautiful. Yes. You know, it's like, your well, how's the dancer going to fit into this whole thing? That's so weird. You know, it's like, well, the dancer, you know, I, I've worked with Alvin Ailey dancers. Now I work with Shauna Davis and she's out of some amazing dance companies. And, and she was just so intuitive and, and well-trained. And not only that, but she was very sensitive. Mm-hmm. And, and we created some great stuff that that fits right into the film. So so everybody, watch it. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, you know, you can um, actually go to www. Well, you don't have to say that anymore. Unmaskinghopethemovie.com and uh, find out when we're going to... And on our Facebook. And we'll be releasing on public television... Um, in early October. And so check out your local public TV. Hope stations. everybody heard that. <laughs> yeah. My plug there. Yeah. We'll, we'll give you some time at the end to, to, to shout out your plug again. But um, I wanted to ask you real quick, do you see a future where, because you were just talking about the, the whole dancing scene and how you can, you know, explain that way and give answers that way. Do you ever see your st- yourself creating maybe like a play you know that's interesting like i i have a i have a screenplay yeah that i've been working on with two kind of mentors of mine paulette lifton and and um and me and uh it's actually based on a person that was in one of my films in homecoming of vietnam vet's journey and uh and it's a narrative but it's very kind of different it involves, you know, it is about recovery, recovery, the Vietnam War, PTSD, but it's also about surfing in the 70s. It's about soulmates. It's about so much. And yeah, so I'm, I'm exploring that. But, you know, it's interesting. And if you're not in the industry and you're kind of looking in from the outside, everything looks so amazing. It's like in the film industry, it's like, oh, gosh, you get to do that and you get a bit. But, you know, it, it's taken me four years to get Unmasking Hope done. And and that's a that's a lot of time, you know. And as as I get older, that's a lot of time. Right, right. And so I look at this screenplay, I go, Eric, are you willing to do the sacrifice that's going to be to get this off the ground and get it done? And then are you willing to go through the heartbreaks of seeing things change and having to uh, you know, well, having to, um, give in on certain things and, and, and having to sacrifice other things to get it made, you know? And I'm like, I'm not too sure, you know, it's like, I don't know any, I mean, even the, even I, I know a lot of filmmakers, I know a lot of actors and, uh, even some of the greatest filmmakers have had to compromise and, and are at the mercy of the studios and other and the funders and things like that. So is right. that in me? I don't know. Yeah. Like <laughs> they want to make some changes, like tweak some things, and it's it doesn't become still yours, but it's not as pure as you wanted it to be. Yeah. And, and on this, on Unmasking Hope, I set myself up for a lot of autonomy. And I feel very, very grateful that it came out this way and I was able to do what I needed on it's on a small on a small budget but you know my funding angels trusted me and um I just feel very grateful I was able to pull off my vision in this I'm way. happy for you man I feel like you're getting real damn close if not to to being your core self this has been a pleasure speaking with you and you know for years you're talking how it takes about four years to create that film but that film will last forever and make an indent that that, that will touch people's lives I'm for sure about that 
So well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I still hear, you know, my film that was released seven years ago. See? I still hear people that are, you know, were very uh-huh. much affected by that film. And, and oh, we beautiful. just had a great story happen just, you know, about a week or so ago of somebody, you know, showing up on the motorcycle run that's portrayed in the film. It's actually Healing Pilgrimage. And they said, oh, I saw the film. So I decided I'd try this thing out. I need some help. And it's like yeah, that yeah. seven years later, I'm like, OK, good, good. It really is the gift that keeps on giving. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You're doing a service, man. I appreciate you being here. I'm going to give you a second to to do some shout outs. Um, the websites, if you want to, social media. I know you don't have Facebook, maybe Instagram or whatever you got to do. Go ahead and uh, let my let my listeners know and your fans now. Give you a oh, second. Oh, definitely. I, I appreciate yeah. that. And yeah, the film is on Instagram and it is cool. on Facebook. Just All right. me personally, I've taken a leave of absence, but <laughs> you can look up, uh, I mean, what, what is it? Hashtag unmasking hope. Yeah. And uh, then you can also look up uh, on the, um, on the website, unmasking hope, And to find out more about me and all my other projects and my background and that my other work, uh, ecproductions.com. But, uh, do, do, you know, um, do Google unmasking hope and, uh, follow us and, and, uh, look for, look for the film coming out in October. October. Exciting. Eric, if you're ever in Chicago, hit me up. We'll, we'll meet, we'll get a coffee or something. No, I want some of that deep dish. And some of that <laughs> easy. So okay, I, okay. I was I was there real briefly. I want so I want another. I want the real deep dish, and I want some of that. What's that beef that is in the in the juice and everything? Italian beef or something? Yeah, yeah. There's beef in a Jew. It's uh, Portillo's. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's the hot. I'm spot. all about Portillo's and Lumel <laughs> Nadis is the the best deep dish. Nice. Okay. I will. <laughs> Hey, it was a pleasure, pleasure speaking to you. Really, I, I appreciate you doing this. Had a wonderful conversation, and uh, get you back on the podcast, and we'll talk about children. Hey, I, I, I'm more than happy to do that. You get me on my soapbox about parenting, but no, <laughs> I, I really appreciate it, Jay. Thank you, and thank you for the time and the insightful questions. Excellent, thanks, Eric. Later, everybody.